0: Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And we are going to do part two of uh, Second Temple Judaism, Preparation for Messiah. Uh, And this is going to be the fun one because uh, we've done now two podcasts of background, and now we'll really get into zooming into the kind of 200 years, 300 years right before Jesus. And we're going to find out the roots of... People like the Pharisees. Uh, We already talked about the the um, Samaritans, but the Sadducees and the scribes and the Herodians and Herod the Great and uh, Herod Agrippa, and um, we're going to really get a much richer idea of what was going on in the world uh, before Jesus came on the scene, and and all the things that we're used to reading in the New Testament. Now we're going to know why they're there. So um, we mentioned. the influence of Greek culture, and we spent a bit, a bit of time on that before, uh, and we mentioned Alexander the Great and how he conquered the known world in twelve and a half years, and then um, he died an untimely, well, died at the age of I think thirty three, um, and uh, and he divided his empire between, or his empire was divided between his four generals, um, his own wife and young son were eventually killed uh in the in the struggle for power between the four. Um and Israel ended up um caught in the in the crossfire between um the Egyptian um, uh, the general that took over Egypt and had their base of power there known as the Ptolemaic P T O L E M A I C Ptolemaic uh empire. Based in Egypt, and the Seleucid Empire, S-E-L-U-E-U-C-I-D, which was based up in Syria. Um, so, for the first bit of this time, uh, the time that we've already covered, uh, they were governed by Egypt, and things went pretty well when they were governed by when they were governed by Egypt. Um, Israel, all throughout this time and into the next couple hundred years, and really even to today, uh, has a reasonably good relationship with Egypt. Um, obviously, the Israelites spent time there as slaves. Also, uh, when when they were defeated, when they were attacked, it, the attacks usually came from the north, and they usually fled south to Egypt as a power, as a as a place to go. Um, Jerusalem before um, being conquered by Assyria and um, by Babylon, uh, Israel was often uh, a province of Egypt. It was often actually ruled from Egypt. Uh, it's not, it's not emphasized in scriptures. But um, you know, King Josiah was killed by uh, by the ruler of Egypt, and then it, it became a vassal state. And and different times, um, it's mentioned throughout the Old Testament that uh, Egypt. Either was the place that they looked to for power or was ruling them or they were paying tribute in some way. You know, King Solomon, you know, his first wife was an Egyptian princess to solidify that relationship with them. Anyways, in uh, and, and Egypt, uh, things went well. Egypt understood Israel. They understood how to tiptoe around their religious system. And um, there, there were no, no major conflicts uh, during this time, the High Priest ran continued to run Israel, so there was this dynasty, a succession of high priests uh, based on one family line that ran Israel um, and then they paid their taxes to the Ptolemaic uh, dynasty down in Egypt. Um, but then the Seleucid Empire over in Syria started rising in dominance and if you can think about where Egypt is, it's kind of in the middle of everything. It's kind of on on a three-way land bridge between Africa, Asia, and Europe. And so that's why it's often been a center of conflict. Um, And so the Seleucid Empire took over Israel, and things went considerably worse, um, both for Israel and for the Seleucids, as we'll see. So at first, um, things were... We're going fine. Um, this whole time, th- this is by the way, a time in history where we know a lot about, probably we know too much about, uh, and so it's hard to really summarize it. And last time I, I taught this class in Africa, this was the second class I taught, I think, and uh, I just got so far into the details that uh, it was really confusing for me and my students. So I'm going to try really hard to just zoom over this. Uh, in general, things were going fairly well under the Seleucid Empire. Uh, in Syria until a guy came along known as Antiochus and uh, he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes which means uh, God manifest or illustrious uh, Antiochus Epiphanes Uh, but his people called him Antiochus Epiphanes not Epiphanes but Epiphanes just changing one letter uh, to mean the madman, Antiochus the madman, and uh, so he came along, and um, he, you know, he was a general. He was he was fighting, he was conquering, um, and there was a rumor because he was trying to uh, conquer Israel and part of of that territory. There was a rumor that he was killed in battle, and so the Israelites celebrated because they thought they had won. Um, but it turned out that this was false; that he hadn't died, and then he took great offense to this. He was a very um, a very petty man, uh, very uh, narcissistic, uh, similar to Hitler in his compartment, in his attitude. Uh, and so because he was so offended that the Israelites had celebrated, um, he he sacked Jerusalem, he attacked it, he destroyed it. Um, and he actually uh, desecrated the temple. He offered a pig on the altar. This is how far he went. Um, just to uh, desecrate the temple and desecrate the altar, so that the Israelites couldn't worship there anymore, because now it had been desecrated. And then he forced uh, Greek worship on the Israelites. So up till this time, certainly uh, Israel had was getting more and more Hellenized, more and more influenced by um, by Greek culture. Uh, Helena, um, is that the main god of the of the Greeks or the Romans, anyways, the word Hellenized means coming under the influence of the Greco-Roman culture. Um, so the was like like, the people were were naturally becoming more and more Greek, um, and then there was this tension arising between the conservatives and the more liberals, the more Greek thinking, uh, people. Um, but he really came with an iron fist to say, no, you have to worship Zeus, you have to worship Jupiter, and he set up an altar to. One of the gods, I think it was Zeus, in um, the temple in Jerusalem and actually forced the Jews to worship uh, at you know for at pain of death sort of thing and so this was going on um, and uh, the Israelites weren't really resisting this um, f- for a period of time I'm actually not sure how long uh, until um, a man named Matt, mattathias. A Jewish conservative man came to the temple, presumably to worship Yahweh, the Lord. And he saw um, a Syrian soldier force a Jewish man to offer a sacrifice to Jupiter in the holy place, in uh, the place where Yahweh was supposed to be worshipped. Mattathias was consumed with, with zeal, with rage against this thing that he had just witnessed. And so he killed both the soldier and the Jewish man. And then he hightailed it out of there because he knew he had done something that he would be killed for. And on his way out of town, he yelled after him, He who is for the Lord, follow me, or something to that effect. And his four sons followed him, and a small group of others followed him as well. Um, And uh, Mattathias died that following year. He was already an elderly man at this time. But his uh, four sons took up the battle against um, Antiochus, the fool, the the crazy man, um, in the famous Maccabean Wars. Uh, and Maccabee is not their last name. People didn't really have a, a last name at that time. Uh, but Maccabee means uh, well. It's disputed what it means, but it likely means something like the hammer of God. And so uh, the the Mac the four sons were known as. Um, their last, like they, they were known as Judas Maccabee, Judas the Hammer of God, and then there was, I forget all their names. I really, gonna try not to get dragged down into the details. Um, the bottom line is they eventually won. They were eventually victorious. So if you can think of Israel, how small it is, this tiny little country, right? And then you have all of Syria over to the east, and all of Egypt in its empire to the south, and then to the north you have, you know, Greece and and all that stuff up there. Um, It's amazing that Israel actually won its independence under the Maccabees. And they kept that independence between 110 BC and 63 BC. So not a super long time. Does that add up to around 50 years? Something like that. My math is so bad. Um, So anyways, eventually they won. Uh, And this is where we get the celebration of Hanukkah. Um, One of the sons of Maccabee... Um, defeated Antiochus. Uh, Antiochus, about that same time, actually died of, um, we would say natural causes, but it was a a terrible disease that he contracted and died in agony. So the Jews tend to think of that as God's judgment on him. And um, one of his sons, I I think it was Judas, but I forget which one it was, one of the Maccabees brothers, rode into Jerusalem in triumph um, with... uh, all the the people of Jerusalem waving palm branches and saying, Blessed is the Son of David who's come to deliver us. He went straight to the temple, he consecrated the altar and uh, set up pure worship of Yahweh on that altar. And so when you see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, he is, um, many have made a strong parallel between what. The Maccabees did, and what Jesus did, and he was Jesus went straight to the temple to cast out um, the money traders and set up pure worship of Yahweh in the temple. Um, so the conflicts continued, on and on and on. The war; there were all these little wars, and they were continually trying to fight to maintain their independence against these huge superpowers that were around them. Uh, and it was really a testament to uh, their bravery and also to the protection of God that they were able to keep their independence for 50 years. Um, but eventually what they did is they they saw the writing on the wall. They knew they weren't going to be able to um, be victorious against uh, against the, the Seleucid Empire, all of Syria. And Egypt was also licking its chops down to the south to uh, think of getting them back again. And so they made an alliance with Rome. And uh, they, because they could see that at this point that Rome was the rising superpower in the Mediterranean, and so they they made a, a treaty with Rome to be under their protection. And as I was reading in Josephus, uh, as he was recounting what was going on during this time, it was really confusing to me because they made a treaty, and then a very short time later, Rome marches over there and conquers them. And I'm like, I thought you guys were on the same t- side. I thought that was kind of the point of a treaty. um, And it seems to me that um, it was kind of like a deal with the devil. It was kind of like um, asking the mafia to protect you. So if you could think of being a store owner um, in an area where there's lots of crime and you need protection from being attacked or, or being robbed and you ask the local gang to protect you, give them a few thousand dollars as protection money. Well, all of a sudden your crime goes away. Everything's hunky-dory. And you think, all right, problem solved. Well, problem is solved until you stop paying the gang. And all of a sudden you you stop paying your protection money for one month. And then they attack you, you know, and do even worse than the, than the burglars we were doing before. Um, and this is the sort of thing that was going on, as I understand it. They They asked Rome to protect them, but for Rome that meant they were part of the empire now. And then when they weren't paying taxes. And eventually the Romans appointed uh, a king over the Jews. Um, they, they considered themselves to be the rulers now of Israel. Because Israel had made a treaty with them. They were part of the Roman Empire. So they felt they had the right to appoint a king. Well, the Israelites already had a high priest. They felt like they didn't need a king. Um, but they appointed Herod the Great over Israel. Um, over Israel. Um, And uh, just right up till the last day of his life, Israel rejected Herod as their king. They said, he is not our king. They didn't have any trouble talking with Caesar and appealing to him and talking to him, but they did not want to have anything to do with this Herod guy being their king. In large part because he was an Edomite. So if you go back in the Old Testament and read the story of uh, the two brothers, Jacob and Esau and uh Jacob was part of the, the chosen line whereas Esau was was not and uh Esau um was in the Israelite area uh the the area of Palestine or Israel and then he moved um I think he was to the east but I can't remember exactly uh and and his descendants became the Edomites and there was tension between the Jew, the Jews and the Edomites for for centuries um and now finally Herod the Great, an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, not of the descendant of uh, Abel, of of, of 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 not Abel, um Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not a descendant, descendant of Jacob, uh, but of Esau, um was ruling over the Israelite people, so they just could not re- could not accept this. Um, So Herod had to uh, fight some very significant battles to actually basically conquer all of Israel. Um, And finally, once he conquered it, then he was the king of Israel. But he was always putting down revolts. He was always putting down um, uprisings of the Jewish people. Um, Despite this, as I was reading it, and as I was reading other things that were happening during this time, I thought, well, Herod, especially in the beginning... Beginning part of his life, he seemed like kind of a decent guy, uh, as far as you know, ruthless conquerors go. Um, you know, a lot of other people, like we just read about Antiochus, just needless slaughter, needless uh, bloodshed. Whereas Herod, as he was conquering Jerusalem, said, um, basically, show restraint. I don't want to, I don't want to rule over. Uh, how did he put it? He it 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 read well as it was written in Josephus, but he basically said. Don't, don't raise Jerusalem to the ground. I want to have something to rule over, uh, which is a very logical thing to say. Uh, and so he, he conquered Israel, but with somewhat of a gentle hand. Uh, he wanted to have something left to, to rule over. And then he engaged in some really impressive uh, building um, projects, many of which stand to this day. He's called Herod the Great because he did some pretty incredible stuff. Um, he's famous for building the stronghold of Masada, Masada. Not sure how to pronounce that. As well as rebuilding the the temples. We already talked about how the temple was rebuilt and and dedicated under Ezra, the scribe. But but then, in by this time it needs to be renovated and redone. And he did a tremendous do- job renovating and making it beautiful, as well as rebuilding Jerusalem and building a few coastal cities as major ports. Um, All of this, in part, especially the temple um, renovation, he did to try and and win the the hearts of the Israelite people. Uh, But ultimately, it it never worked. Uh, The Israelite people always rejected him as their king. And it was very significant uh, during the the death and trial of Jesus that Jesus was called the king of the Jews. It was also significant um, when wise men come from the east to ask, where will the, the the true king of the Jews be born? And of course, Herod is thinking, "Hey, I'm the real king." But he know. But then he asks the the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and they look for the for the Jewish Messiah. Where the Where will the Jewish Messiah be born as king of the Jews? So all these things are significant. Uh, towards the end of his life, he kind of went off the deep end. Uh, could be from the pressure of never being accepted as king in identity crisis. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Um, but what we do know is that he started getting um, obsessed about somebody from his family or somebody from his close circle that was going to try and uh, assassinate him and usurp his role. And so he actually um, engaged in, um, in a number of executions, including his wife, uh, a number of his sons. And a number of his close officials, uh, afterwards regretted it. Uh, very um, um, was tormented by what he did after the fact. Uh, as this kind of progressed, and he kept like kind of assassinating more and more people, it seemed as though certain people in his family kind of were egging him on to assassinate somebody else that was was in their way. Uh, as he had many sons vying for a position after him. Um, And uh, it's very tragic. And, um, uh, you know, towards the end of his life, he really became a despotic, sort of a crazy, um, maniacal ruler. Um, There's a story that uh, when he was on his deathbed, he ordered um, a large number of leading people from Jerusalem to be uh, all uh, put together in uh, in the theater or somewhere like that, uh, and to be executed on his death so that people would would weep that Herod had died because he knew that the Israelite people would not weep. Uh, as I recall correctly, they assembled the people, but they never ended up assass- uh, executing them as ordered. Um, so that's Herod the Great. After he died, uh, his his kingdom was divided up between his sons, and that's why we have his Herod Agrippa, Herod Antipas, and then a, f- a few others, I'm not going to get into them, except to say that uh, they were less effective than Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a really, actually a pretty good ruler. He actually, when it comes to ruling the Jews, which was a very tall order for any Roman authority, um, he did a pretty good job. um, And uh, nobody else was really able to do as well as he did uh, in the brief rule of Rome over Israel. All right, so that just about covers the big uh, events in history leading up to the time of Jesus. Now let's let me just look over and see if there's anything I missed. Uh, I meant to mention that Hanukkah celebrates the time when um, Judas Maccabeus, uh, or one of the Maccabee boys, um, retook Jerusalem, and then uh, when when they re the temple, they didn't actually have enough consecrated olive oil to keep the the special candlestick, the menorah, burning. And so uh, they sent somebody on the fastest horse they they had to go to the next village to get some some consecrated olive oil. Um, But miraculously, the menorah, even though it only had enough oil for one day, kept burning for, I believe it's eight days, um, something like that. And so that's the miracle of Hanukkah that is celebrated every year uh, as one of the celebrations of the Jewish people. Right, I want to close out this time with um, a brief. uh, Right, I want to close this time by talking more specifically about uh, some of the major players that we come across in the New Testament. Um, These are the Pharisees, Sadducees, and people that we don't talk about often are the Essene community. And we'll find out why they're important in a second. So the Pharisees, first of all, they were descendants of a movement known as the Hasidim movement, uh, which was a movement in the se- third and second centuries before Christ, uh, which was um, combating the Greek influences. So we mentioned Simon the Just and uh, the kind of movement towards conservative Judaism at that time. Throughout history, then, um, the Pharisees uh, kind of became one branch of conservative Judaism. Sorry for the background noise, I just got uh, some kids playing in the background there, um, and then the Essene community became uh, another branch of the Hasidim, the conservative movement. Pharisees in the villages trying to, cons- to uh, reform uh, the Jewish people, the Essenes were out in the, the desert uh, trying to be pure and maintain a pure religion apart from society. Um, so they were usually leaders in their local synagogues. Um, they were popular among the laity in Jesus' day and also had some political power, although not like the Sadducees. Um, Josephus writes that in Jesus' time, they number, numbered around 6,000. And after the destruction of the temple, they became more powerful in Jewish Jewish society and they became the forefathers of the rabbis of ancient and modern Judaism. So after... The temple fell, um, it wasn't possible for Jewish religion to continue with, you know, centered around the temple. So what was left? What was left was the synagogues. What was left was the focus on scriptures. And what was left was rabbinic um, Judaism based on the Pharisees. Actually, let me back up now and talk about synagogues. As you can tell, my cadence has changed a little bit. I'm reading from um, a summary paper that I did. Um, and so I'm kinda of going bullet by bullet into uh, the information about these various things. Um, so synagogues, um, the synagogue literally means a gathering or bringing together, which is very similar to the, the um, Greek word ekklesia, which means, which is translated as church, so it's very similar to our idea of church. Um, perhaps they originate in Babylon as captive Jews fought to maintain their identity, around 580 uh, before Christ, not after Christ. Upon their return, they were set up across Israel, as it's mentioned in Ezra and Nehemiah. The earliest remains of synagogues date from around 3 to 200 before Christ. And in the diaspora, that's the dispersion of of Jews and uh, Israelites across uh, the empire, they set up synagogues throughout the empire, which is why um, as... The gospel spread. The first place that it usually went was into the synagogue because there were local synagogues in almost all parts of the empire. Um, Synagogues helped keep Judaism alive in their transition away from Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. And synagogues continue to be a vital part of Judaism to the present day. And they have influenced Jewish, Christian, and Muslim worship to the present day as well. And again, um, the Pharisees would have been um, major players in most of the synagogues. Synagogues out in the countryside, um, and the Pharisees uh, often not, not from any, any particular dynasty or uh, family heritage, but just people that, that had taken it on, upon themselves to preserve scriptures, to teach scriptures, and, um, and to teach them to the people. Alright, so the noise you heard earlier turned in was uh, my kids and uh escalated into something I had to deal with. Um, and so this is me a few, uh, about a week later, trying to pick up where I left off and I don't have my notes in front of me. But that might be best because uh, what we're after in this podcast is just a brief overview summary. Um, you can go on my blog and uh, I've got the whole... I will post along with this uh, kind of an outline of who were the Pharisees, who were the Sadducees in greater detail. Um, So I mentioned already the Essene community and the Pharisees. Um, Along with the Pharisees, we should mention the scribes um, and the lawyers. So whereas the Pharisees, it was their job. Basically, they were kind of the pastors in the synagogues um, teaching the law to the people uh, and the lawyers and the scribes. It was the same thing, basically. They were studying the law to find out and to, to find answers to the tricky sorts of questions about, um, you know, what constituted work on a Sabbath. Um, so could you spit on the ground? Uh, what if the spittle, you know, push some dirt in front of it? And so they decided, no, you couldn't spit on the ground on Sunday or on, on, the, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, because that would constitute work. Uh, and so these were um, the scribes and the lawyers that Jesus confronted um, were very much in the same vein as the Pharisees trying to understand the law and trying to uh, figure out how to be a conservative Jew in opposition to, uh, you know, the Hellenizing Greek influences. Uh, I think I neglected to mention about the Essene community. Again, the Essenes were off in the wilderness uh, having um they were basically— the forerunners of the monks, uh, the desert fathers and then the monks. They were off in the desert uh, trying to pursue holiness because they felt like uh, society had been far too corrupted by Greek influence and by uh, other sinful tendencies. And so the only way they could have a pure Jewish community was to be completely removed from society. And the Essenes were significant for two reasons. The really big reason was because they they copied and recopied the old testament. It wasn't their Old Testament, it was what they called the Tanakh. Um and uh as we're gonna find out, all of Jerusalem was uh destroyed in AD seventy and so were the Essenes. Uh but they had preserved they had such a high view of scriptures that they um they they kept scriptures when they when scrolls were no longer any good for for reading and and, uh, using. They would seal them up in in clay pots and leave them in caves. And that's where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we also have tons of scrolls uh, that the Essene community wrote about themselves or other literature. Um, They wrote a lot of apocalyptic literature, believing that the world was going to end soon. And so they wrote kind of prophetic visions about what was gonna happen at the end of the world. And so we know a lot about the Essene community from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was really exciting when those were discovered in the 40s, 1940s. It gave us this huge window into this vibrant community that lived during the time of Jesus. Um, It was also significant that they practiced water baptism. Uh, They believed that all of the Jewish people were so far gone that if they wanted to become part of God's people, they needed to join the Essenes. The way to do that was to be baptized, and they need to be baptized in living water. Um, in the Old Testament, there's often reference to living water versus dead water. Um, there's a, a verse that many of us know from youth retreats and such. Uh, My people have committed two sins. Uh, they have rejected me the spring of living water. And they have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's somewhere in Jeremiah. Um, so in an arid place, cisterns were very important. they dig holes line them with clay and that that would trap uh, runoff water and then they could drink throughout the dry season. But it was far better to have living water either in um, a creek or a river or a lake or in a, um, a well or a spring that had an, an underground water source. And so uh, because these Essenes lived in the desert where there wasn't living water, uh, they had a whole system of of paddles to uh, turn their water to make it living uh, so that they could baptize people. And uh, some liberal scholars uh, would theorize that John the Baptist was an Essene because he lived in the desert on a very meager diet. Uh, he came preaching repentance and he baptized people in living water. Um, I don't think conservatives especially have anything against that theory, uh, although they would certainly say... he was also called of god and had a special anointing on his life Uh, but there's a possibility that john the baptist was part of this this early group the essenes um let me pause this and think who else i want to mention all right so i think i've covered all the conservative folks you got your pharisees you got your um your uh scribes your uh lawyers your essenes all clustered around either the synagogues or else, in the case of the Essenes, these separatist communities. Then on the liberal branch, remembering that Greek influence and money and power are all around, um, and uh, there's this ten- temptation to, um, to surrender to it. And so you have the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees, um, along with uh, the Maccabees, had been the ruling class. Um, and it was kind of sad to read but um, you know the Maccabees started off really fighting against liberalism in this slide towards Greek thought and decadence. Um, Something I haven't really mentioned is that Greek culture was a very decadent culture. They prided themselves on art and artistry. Um, Something that Jews really rebelled against was the nudity in the sports. I might have mentioned that. And also nudity in art. Uh, so they had, you know, statues everywhere that were naked, and uh, they would do their their athletic, you know, the Olympic games, forerunners of the Olympic games, naked or or nearly naked. And uh, as well, they were proponents of homosexuality. Um, for them, homosexuality wasn't um, an orientation; it was a choice. It was kind of like. Um, you could have sex as much as you want without getting somebody pregnant that's kind of in, in a nutshell how the Greeks thought of it. Um, it was seen as an excess as a, as as part of a life of luxury and of you know no restraints and so all these things were rejected by conservative Jews um, whereas liberal Jews um, were not resisting these things. Um, And so the the Maccabean family started off, you know, uh, on the pure side and somewhere along the way uh, they started giving in to um, outside influences, to Greek uh, religion, to Greek thought, and then more and more to kind of the decadent culture and and things like this. And this in part came through um, one of the Maccabees who was a lesser um, pretender to the throne um offered to it was the egyptians at the well i forget how that worked if it was a maccabee it was to the egyptian rulers so it might have been before the maccabees but his name was tobias um i didn't realize that when i named my son tobias but uh he was the first to go to kind of the superpower rulers and say let me be a tax collector for you i'll get taxes for you and um and then give me a, a high place. I think he wanted to be high priest. And so, um, there were the tax collectors, who were the sellouts, who were um, getting finances for the enemy, whether that be sorry, whether that be the Egyptians or the Syrians or the Romans. So you had the tax collectors, who are basically you know selling out their people for financial reasons. Um, then you had uh, the high priesthood. Now, when Herod the Great came in, he had a problem because he had this genealogy of high priests who had historically been running the country alongside um, the Maccabean family. And uh, so he replaced the generational high priest with just somebody he picked that that, uh, was sympathetic to his cause. And so when we read about the high priest in, um, in the New Testament, these guys aren't the, the, the true descendants of Aaron. This is just somebody that, that Herod had chosen as a high priest. Uh, and so they were in it for the political power. Uh, they were basically sucking up to Herod uh, to have political power, of course, with financial power as well, along with that. Um, during this time as well, um, there was a whole family of priests, um, all the descendants of Aaron, um, you know throughout the years if you keep track of it it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger all the male descendants um and so rather than all of them being at the temple because there wasn't enough money basically to support all of them all the priests would go back home and then they would cycle through and they would serve their time at the temple uh, and so this is why uh, john the baptist's um, father what was his name um zachariah i think Was serving his time at the temple when uh, he saw the vision uh, and, um, you know, about his son. Uh, Sorry, I'm a little bit out of breath. I'm holding my son here. (laughs) Um, Just want to try and wrap this up. So we have high priests, we have the priests. Um, During this time as well, the high priests really cramped down on the rest of the priests and also on the whole temple system, um, making. Originally, to to serve to give your offering at the temple, there was a provision for poor people that they could just offer a pigeon, or a sparrow, I believe. And there were a lot of birds that that counted as a sparrow. And basically, any poor person in in this in all of Israel would be able to go out in the bush, catch a bird, and offer it for their sins. There should be no one excluded from worshiping God due to financial reasons. Um, But what the high priesthood did during Herod's time is they changed it so that you had to buy animals at the temple. And so you had to change your money for the temple shekel, and then you had to buy something from them. And so it became this huge money-making endeavor, which is why Jesus, when he came to the temple, cast all the money changers out. Why were there even money changers in there? Uh, It was a way of um, taxing people for religion. And basically, it was keeping poor people from being able to worship God because they just couldn't afford anymore uh, the very costly sacrifices. And all this money, it wasn't going to all these priests that were all throughout the countryside. It was all getting channeled towards the high priest who was getting more and more rich. Um, And even the people within the temple, you know, the people, you know, opening doors and trimming wicks and things like that, um, were basically on starvation wages. Um, and, uh, it was a very, very sad and corrupt state of affairs really put in place because, well, Herod can't take all the blame, but, uh, the fact that he put somebody in the, into the position of high priest that was grasping for power probably, um, propelled things in this direction. Uh, so we have the priesthood. So most of the priesthood was, uh, were Sadducees, um, Sadducees, uh, as it mentions in the New Testament, do not believe in angels or demons or the afterlife. Um, and so these were people that had really uh, taken up the um, Greek way of thinking. Greeks believe in a spiritual afterlife but not a bodily resurrection. And uh, and so these people were very much this life only. And they're very much focused on um, God's blessings in the here and now. And so again, on the liberal side, we've got the high priest, the other priests, the Sadducees. um, Got the Herodians as well, who are pretty straightforward to understand. These are the sympathizers with Herod who were in it with the high priest to get, you know, more political power, uh, willing to make compromises. Also during this time, I forget their name, um, but there was a group of people that were basically terrorists. And they were famous for going into crowds... Uh, with with hidden daggers and stabbing people Um, you know notable people politicians or or various enemies that they people that they consider to be enemies Uh, if you can think of it would have been normal in the streets are packed everybody's wearing a cloak and so um, these people could just sneak in and kill people uh, without um, and nobody would know who it was and so this was something that was agitating and bringing terror to the to the time. Which leads me to talk about the third group, which are the zealots. Um, these are the people that are agitating for um, liberation. Um, there's at least two reasons why um, people like... Um, the zealots are mentioned a few times in the New Testament. You have one of the disciples... I think it's Simon the zealot, and then uh, when Paul is arrested, the Apostle Paul, they ask him, Are you you know the the one of the zealots that was that led people out um, I think it was the Egyptian somebody the Egyptian that led people out. There were zealots out there trying to uh, liberate the people, and this was partially trying to do what the Maccabees did, uh, trying to reestablish the Davidic throne, trying to find purity, trying to find political independence. As well, um, in Daniel it mentions, um, in the book of Daniel, in the Bible, that after a certain number of weeks, the Lord will come to his temple. And so, if you add up all the weeks, you realize that if that was written around uh, 500, 550 BC, that equals just about uh, 20 or 30 AD uh, is when those weeks should be done. It was about 500 years. And so this was the time when a lot of people were saying, hey, I am that guy that was prophesied in Daniel. I am the one that, I am the liberator. I am uh, the Messiah, the anointed one, and I will liberate the people. And so there were a lot of um, these zealots out there that were claiming to be the one and that probably genuinely thought they were the one. Um, A lot of them... You know, you don't you don't get into their heads or anything like that. You don't really know what makes them tick. But it seemed like um, they were very motivated by political ambitions and by kind of, if I conquer, I'm going to be the king. I'm going to have all the money. Um, yes, it'll, you know, I'll give all the glory to God, but I'm also going to be in a good position, which is why, you know, uh, James and John had their mother ask Jesus, can we be on your left and your right because... When you, when you conquer, because they thought Jesus was going to be an, a, a conqueror like this, um, they thought he's going to have, you know, a good position. And um, Jesus said, it's not for, for me to decide who is on my left and right when I come into my glory. And as it turns out, um, his glory was the cross. And uh, it wasn't for James and John to be crucified along with him was a very different kind of messiah than the others at that time. So all this tension from um, you got your conservative Jews, you got your liberal Jews, you got your politically minded Jews, um, and then you got your your assassins and your terrorists out in the streets. You got the Romans trying to keep the lid on it all, um, but it just keeps boiling over. The only way that the Romans keep trying to, to keep the order is by massacring the people and fighting against the people, but then the people complain to Rome and then they end up replacing the leader with somebody else that does the same thing. Eventually, um, one of these um, zealots, um, actually there were two of them that were in competition with one another. They eventually... Took over Jerusalem. No, sorry, I'm getting this wrong. This is another one of those times in history that was so complicated because you just had so many moving parts. You had the high priest, you had these various rulers. The Edomites came into the picture for a, for a while. Um, but, anyways, they kicked out the Romans. The Romans came back and were just at the gates of Jerusalem to retake it. And then at the last minute, they fled. And they, they they took off and the and the Jews all chased after them and picked off a bunch of them on the way and, and they left kind of in shame. And it's kind of this big question mark in history why in the world did they do that? Um and this um really encouraged the Jews to say, God is on our side, we're gonna win, you know, they were right at our gates, um, but we we beat them back. Um actually they, they left because they heard news of of a political thing or something like that, I forget the exact reason. Um Tradition says that uh, the Christians, remembering what Jesus said about uh, when you see the the abomination that brings desolation standing in the, in the holy place, then you who are on a, the roof of the house, flee to the mountains, don't come back for your jacket, get out of there. Um, the Christians saw this as a sign and said, we need to get out of here. We need to get out. Um, something bad is going to happen. And so they apparently fled. All the Christians that were left in the area fled. Uh, but the Jews said... This is our moment. Uh, we finally kicked out the Jew, the Romans. This is our moment, and so they started, you know, doing these huge military preparations. All of Jerusalem was inv- involved in refortifying Jerusalem, rebuilding it, uh, storing up huge amounts of wheat and grain to handle a a siege Jerusalem itself was a huge um, stronghold and Herod the Great had rebuilt it into an even more fortified stronghold and even the temple itself was like a huge tower within the city so it was this very difficult place to take and they had huge stockpiles of food Um, and uh, all Jerusalem was excited about this Josephus was uh, a general during this time the, the historian that we're gleaning most of this information from he was a general during this time Um, All Jerusalem then assembled in part because the Romans were marching in and in part because it was the Passover feast. And so a huge number of Jews, like um, some reports say up to several million Jews. Other historians say, how is that even humanly possible? But there was a huge amount of Jews, like an obscene amount within Jerusalem. Uh, And then the Romans came and circled them in uh, these wars were, I think, AD 63 up to 70 again it's a difficult complex time but um the end of it was that the romans built a wall around the city so that the jews couldn't get out to uh get reinforcements or more food and the internal conflict within the jews was so bad that the warring parties between various you know false messiahs uh they ended up burning because the the power base was basically who holds the grain who holds the food and in, in in the city during the siege and so one party burnt the grain from the other party and the other party burnt the grain from the other party. So there was no food left. Uh, and it was really their own fault. It was really their internal corruption as well. There's terrible stories about how these false messiahs then ended up abusing the people. Uh, there was cannibalism going on. There was slaughter. There was just really terrible things happened within, uh, the walls of Jerusalem. Um, the sort of thing that you just, you don't want to read it. Uh, it's just terrible, the things that happened. Um, and then finally, uh, the Romans broke through and raised Jerusalem to the ground, raised the temple to the ground, uh, took a whole bunch of prisoners, took all the gold out of the temple, etc. This was eighty seventy. 70. Now, it wasn't at this time that uh, Jerusalem stopped being Jerusalem. But about 20 years later was the last Jewish war. And finally, the Romans said, enough, enough of this, because the Jews just kept revolting, revolting. Um, and so they actually made it illegal for any Israelite person to return to their homeland. And they were barred from from Jerusalem, from Israel. And they actually renamed the place Palestine. And so this is uh, this is not a Muslim idea. This is the ancient romans that did this and um and so after this time the israelites are expelled and uh there are no more israelites allowed to return so at this point the high priest is gone out of the picture temple's gone no more sacrificial system um the temptation to oh and also at this time any jews that want to practice their religion had to pay a tax you had to pay a tax to worship yahweh And so, um, again, it was a purifying influence, just like Babylon was. If you wanted to become Greek, become Greek. It's cheaper. Um, And and there was huge pressure to do that. Uh, And so pretty much the only Jews that remained were those that were passionate about their religion and basically were influenced by the Pharisees. Um, What sort of Jewish religion could survive the destruction of Jerusalem? The synagogues could survive and the uh, pharisaical focus on the law and on right conduct and on teaching and obeying the Sabbath and the other traditions of the elders could survive. And so uh, that wraps up our talk on um, on the intertestamental period and a little bit beyond. And um, so on, in our next podcast, we'll talk about Jesus. Hope you have a good day. Bye.